on this edition of Flying High, the Philly fan's perspective. I'm flying solo, and we are talking about one thing only. You know what went down. The Sixers are making moves. Talking about it all episode long. But first, send request. Play us in. Welcome, welcome into this edition of Flying High, the Philly fans' perspective. It's been a minute. Let's see, we, we've been taking a little bit of time off after that Eagles loss. Uh, Justin and I are both busy fellas outside of the podcast. Justin actually couldn't be here tonight. He is a full-time teacher. He is a coach outside of school. And most importantly, he is a full-time dad and husband. So... He's been hanging out with the little one and the wife, and she's been sick every now and then. So just wishing best of luck and, and best wishes with her for health-wise. If you can you know, send your best wishes that Justin and his family stays healthy. The, the flu season and the cold season has been hitting him hard. And then for me, I've just been working a lot on weekends and not able to get the podcast out. But here we are. I'm doing this one tonight by myself, but we had to do it. Woke up this morning, all sorts of alerts on my phone about this massive blockbuster trade that the Philadelphia 76ers completed. And and I I look at it and I see the name Tobias Harris and an image of him flashed in my head. But all I see when I thought of Tobias Harris was headband guy. I didn't know the era. I didn't know exactly where. I remembered Orange from the college days when he played at Tennessee, but... Mostly, I remembered headband guy. So I wasn't certain how I felt about that. I didn't know if it was real, to be honest, because in the first report that I read, it was not uh, your Woj report, your Woj tweet. It was uh, somewhere online, and it said Landry Shamit was in the deal. And and in my head, I'm thinking, we gave no way that we gave up Landry Shamit for headband guy I, like i didn't know who headband guy was but then i go online espn was tweeted it out and it was official the sixers acquired tobias harris here are the details sixers receive tobias harris who's gonna serve as a the the four most likely but he can work as a stretch forward the three four positions um at six foot eight or six foot nine i saw he was measured at different heights in different reports so we'll hope it's more towards that six foot nine level they also received center boban Mojanovic. that's that's my take on his last name um he's a seven foot three center so that's that's a nice backup to joel and beat on the bench and lastly uh you heard it first Michael Scott, Mike Scott is coming home to Pennsylvania. Uh, the power forward is a six foot eight power forward, and he'll do something on the bench. Uh, we'll talk more about him later. But the Clippers get Landry Shamit, Wilson Chandler, Mike Muscala. So three players who were receiving significant minutes this year, especially Muscala and Chandler. Shamit wasn't getting as many minutes, but um, I think he was the most valuable player to go. Chandler obviously was the starter, and then Muscala was our backup center. But we give up those three players as well as a 2020 protected first-round pick, 
which is the Sixers, and then a 2021 unprotected first-round pick, which is the Miami Heat, which we received in the uh, Mikel Bridges deal, as well as a 2021 and 2023 second-round pick or picks. So we did give up a lot to bring back Tobias Flenderson-Harris and Mike, the three-general manager, Scott, but they're coming back to Pennsylvania. We'll see if it was really worth it if we gave up too much. When when you look at the deal, you see three players for three players and then four draft picks, which is a lot of assets. But when you break them down, as we will, those picks, while they are valuable, it looks like a lot more than it actually was. So breaking down the actual trade, we're going to start at the centerpiece, and that's Tobias Harris. In Los Angeles, he is having a career year. He's averaging 20.7 points per game. He's shooting nearly 50% from the field, 49 and change. Shooting 43% from beyond the arc and averaging 8 rebounds per game as well as an 87% free throw shooter. So he is a great shooter. And at the four position, that's going to be something that's really, really useful. And he's exactly what we needed there. He's a huge improvement from Wilson Chandler. It always felt kind of underwhelming when Wilson Chandler was the big free agency acquisition of the offseason. And it must have been part of this bigger plan. He was just uh, kind of um, someone to just stand in for the time being until we found that right person to play the four. You're getting a phenomenal shooter at six foot nine, and he can drive. So he's multifaceted. Uh, he's only 26 years old. Like I said, he can drive. He finishes at the rim. He has a real nice touch on those, um, you know, twist and layup shots and and the floaters, all of those. He he has a really nice touch on shots around the rim, and my God, he can shoot and he's really improved in that. He actually leads the league in three pointers off the dribble at forty eight point three percent. So not only can he shoot. He actually shoots better when he creates his own shot, and you can't ask for anything more than that. He's also efficient. He's ninth in the league in win shares and 11th in true shooting percentage and usage percentage, so that really shows that while he's on the court, he is making a difference. Last night or two nights ago, whatever it was, in his last game as a Clipper, he hit the game-winning shot all while scoring 35 points, but he put down that game-winning shot, so he's also clutch. Forget the big three, honestly. Say hello to the fearsome four. He is, should he's he's an all-star caliber caliber player, on a team that already has three all-star caliber caliber players, including one who is fighting for that MVP spot. So, the centerpiece, Tobias Harris. When you look at it, it's he's a really solid player with a lot of lot of promise. The other centerpiece is the actual centerpiece. Boban Mujanovic, he provides a much-needed legitimate backup center. And thank you, Moose. We appreciate your time here. Thank you for representing the Patriot League well from Bucknell. But your three-pointers, your, your, your several three-pointers per game, what, what, whatever it was, one or two, they're, they're not going to be missed. I'm sorry, man. Thank you for your time. But just in height-wise, there's a measurable improvement. It's four inches tall. You go from a 6'11 backup who is spending a lot of time outside of the paint to a seven foot three monster who could literally just stand in the paint, put his arms up and serve as a distraction. 
To put it into perspective, though, his actual performance, uh, Moose was averaging 22 minutes per game, and in that time he was grabbing four rebounds. Boban averages the same amount of rebounds in half the time. He's been getting 10 minutes and change per game, and he's averaging four rebounds, um, four and change as well. So he's much more efficient in his time on the court. And last season, in only eight minutes of action per game, he was still pulling in uh, four rebounds a game. So one every two minutes, he just stands under the basket. And especially in a league where people don't fight as hard for rebounds anymore, if you're the tallest person, you're more likely to get more rebounds. So at seven foot three, I want to see him raking in the boards when he's getting those minutes as a backup. He also averaged seven points per game in those 10 minutes that he was playing with the Clippers. So it's not like he's just coming out there and he can't do anything. He can put the ball in the basket. He was actually shooting about 60%. Who knows how that's going to translate if he gets 15 to 20 minutes like Muscala was getting, but he's productive in short stints on the court, which is really nice when Joel comes out of the game to have a big, big man, a bigger man than Joel, standing in as a defensive presence on that side of the court and then able to produce buckets underneath the basket as opposed to you know outside on the three-point arc he, he can stay inside and force people to to look at him um jonah bolden will probably still get those those minutes for his quickness and more of his outside shooting ability but this is a a legitimate center that we have as a backup now and like i said literally just stick him in the in the middle of the paint put your arms up and you have a roadblock and then last but not least we got uh mike scott Really, what I saw was not too much coming from him, but at six foot nine, he is a big body that can come in and play some defense. Um, this year was one of the lowest statistical performances of his career. He did average nine points per game in Washington last season and 10 per game in Atlanta in 2013. Both those seasons, he averaged 18 minutes per game, so he might need a little more time on the court to get moving, get into the rhythm. He's a little bit older, but He's going to have those minutes now because the bench is slightly depleted. So Mike Scott's going to need to step up, and we're hoping to see the version of him that existed last season in Washington and in that season in Atlanta. So that's the positives, and when you think about it, Tobias Harris itself is going to end up being enough, and I'll talk about that later. But what we did lose, it hurt, you know. When when you analyze this trade, though, you have to look at it purely on the court play. No, put all your feelings aside, and I know this is contradicting my my support for Nick Foles because I mean uh, he he put he played well on the on the uh, field as well. But why I was uh, drawn to Nick Foles was his personality and the type of person he was. I think a lot of people grew very attached to Landry Shamit because we saw him as a, a steal really a late first round pick who was turning out to be a solid player and we could call him our own we groomed him he's philadelphia well now he's gone I, it's tough man it's really tough he was averaging eight points per game in 20 minutes um 40 from three and 44 from the field so he was really grooming himself to be the next jj reddick's type player but he was also more athletic he was better at defense and he could handle the ball. So you're really losing a guy who can play one, two, and then be a little bit of a defensive force. And he was really coming to his own, which is uh, it's a little bit sad to, to lose him and know that, that he was a really solid piece off the bench. 
But when you're giving up a solid piece off the bench for a near all-star, he wasn't selected to the all-star team, but really the fourth superstar. We don't know if Tobias is quite a superstar yet, but he's definitely, I, I see it in the future that he will be. So you're giving up promise on the bench, and then, of course, you're giving up, uh, We I talked about Wilson Chandler before uh, and uh, Muscala, but I think that... Um, of the three players who were sent away, Shamit's definitely the one that's going to hurt most because he had the most upside. Really, like I said, Wilson Chandler felt like a, um, a placeholder for whoever was going to come in at the four. And then Muscala was uh, less than average bench player, so not really hurting from that. What we did lose draft pick-wise, um, two first-round picks. And I'm going to explain this 2020 first-round pick, which is lottery-protected. And so, essentially, the first-round pick to the Clippers is a lottery-protected pick. So, if somehow the Sixers, um, not tank, but just collapse, I guess, in any of uh, the next three seasons, and they end up having a pick inside the top 14, they get to keep that pick and use it. Unfortunately, um, I don't see that happening. Not unfortunately at all, but I don't see that happening this year whatsoever. So their their selection is going to be outside of the top 14, in which case the Clippers are going to get that pick. So really, they're giving up the 2020 first round pick, which will be a late mid to mid 20s probably, depending on how it finishes. Knock on wood. Hopefully, later than that. But they're giving up that first round pick. And then they're also giving up a 2021 first-round pick um, from the Miami Heat, which is unprotected. It was acquired in that whole deal for Mikel Bridges. Whether that pans out, I don't know where it's going to end up in 2021 and what the Heat are exactly going to look like. But we've now essentially used that Mikel Bridges trade to acquire a fourth superstar. So it's looking more and more like that was actually a good trade because we're still waiting to hear what's going on with Zaheer. But we'll see. Tobias Harris is enough to make that worth it. And then the 2021 and 2023 second round picks, I wouldn't fret about those. Anybody who's worried about giving up too many draft picks, um, don't worry about it. Second round picks, while they can turn out to be nice bench pieces, we'll find a way to build around that and, We'll see what happens. But giving up those two second-round picks, I would say essentially what happened is uh, we gave up Shamit, Chandler, and the two first-round picks. And Muscala is uh, iffy. But those second-round picks, don't worry about them. All in all, pretty good trade. And I'm going to talk more about that. But I did see a tweet later in the day by Keith Pompey. and uh, I'm sorry, Keith Pompey. And the Sixers actually acquired another player from Toronto who they just uh, played against, uh, Malachi Richardson. And they also acquired a 2022 second-round pick in the draft rights to some foreign guy whose name I'm not going to try and pronounce. And that was all in exchange for cash considerations. So essentially, the Sixers paid to get that second-round pick. Richardson's a G League type play. He he's not going to do anything really for this team. And then the foreign player is not even expected to ever touch the NBA. So it's all stuff that the front office understands what they're doing and they're moving chess pieces. And that was just a move. So Elton's making moves. That's really what we're. The bottom line is Elton Brand is making moves. And 
like I said last night, uh, I half watched the Toronto game. I was I was trying to pay attention to that as well as watch what was going on over in Washington, and I was doing work, so I was kind of zoned out of everything. But all I know is that we lost again to the Raptors at home, and I think obviously Elton was concocting something like this for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, however long it was. I think Elton Brand. Just like, you know what? I am sick and tired of n- not being able to get over this hump and not being able to beat teams like Bucks and the Pacers and the Raptors, those type of teams. Like, the win in Golden State was awesome. It really was awesome, but it might have just been a day where Golden State wasn't on top of their game, especially Steph. He wasn't, he was, he was lights out, but he maybe wasn't lights, lights out. I, I'm not exactly sure, but while that was a convincing win, he, he, it seems he was just sick and sick and tired, just like the rest of us, of being... We're in fifth place right now. We should not be the fifth place team. We're, we're losing big games. The Celtics, Bucks, Pacers, Raptors, all those teams. Those are games that we're tired of losing, and I think Elton was just tired of losing those games. So he decided at that moment he was going to work all night until he got a deal done. Sure enough, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., whenever it was, this trade went down, and Elton's really making moves. So what's the trade implications for the Sixers? Let's look at the starting five right now that are going to be playing uh, whenever Tobias comes in and, and gets himself settled. You got Bennett point guard, who's you know 6'11", um, 17 points a game, 9 boards, 7 assists. He's a nightly threat for a triple-double. Now he has another 20-point-per-game score coming at you that's more opportunity for assists. Um, really, really nice, nice opportunity for him. And then you have JJ at the shooting guard. He's averaging 18 a game. You got Jimmy at uh, the three spot, averaging 18 a game. Tobias averaging 20 a game, and Joel at the center, going for 27 and 13 boards per night. Philadelphia now has an average of 18 points from their starting five. Each, uh, when you add those all up and divide them by five, it comes out to 18. That's math, and that's really good math in the NBA when you can get an average of 18 points from your starters spread evenly across the board. Now, the way I see it, Tobias really is going to force players to respect him outside. You're going to have to come out, and you're going to have to guard him. Joel's a monster inside. He requires help inside. If you leave him one-on-one with most centers, he's going to bully you and make you look like a fool. What does that equal? That equals players can't just play off Ben and not respect him anymore. They can't just camp in the lane because he'll drive and then nobody's going to collapse. They're going to have to stay out on Tobias. It's going to be one-on-one. Ben's not going to be able to be double-teamed in the lane. Then you have Jimmy, who can create his own shot. He can hit the three occasionally. JJ doing his thing. And, of course, Joel doing his thing. So you have three guys who can hit from outside, two who are very near deadly. You got the MVP in on the block who can also shoot from... 15 feet and he shoots those three-pointers um not sure how i feel about that all the time but he's just a dominant force putting up 27 points a game 
And now Ben has two sharpshooters, Jimmy, and a monster inside to dish it off to. That's an offensive force. That is an offensive force. What I'm hoping is that uh, Tobias can help us out. Also on the defensive end, really the hole here is going to be JJ at shooting guard. They, Our biggest problem is getting lit up by guards, star guards on other teams. And I know forwards come in and light us up too, but really it's the guards who give us the most trouble when you have a Kemba Walker style player or Kyrie Irving. Ben's not always matched up against them, and if you have J.J. covering them, that's a liability. And Really, they, they, they needed more offense, but they had a lot of offense to begin with. So hopefully it's able to remain tight on offense and get tighter on defense. But really what he brings, Tobias brings that three-point deadly threat and, and another player who has the ability to create his own shot. So what I see now is that the bench is it's incredibly thin. Now, Boban's a great backup center. I like the exchange there, I think. That's somewhere where you can now give Joel rest for however long you need it in crucial moments. Maybe not in, in like crucial moments, but you can give him an extended period of a break and not have to worry. Although Brett did like to put uh, Mikey Moose in there for with five minutes left in the fourth quarter and times when you really want Joel in there. So we'll see how he works with that. But it's a much, it's a, it's a much more solid actual center playing center at backup. And then you have TJ backing up at the point and you got Furcon. And I really hope, that the dark horse in this trade turns out to be Mike Scott because if he can average 18, 20 minutes on the floor per night and have some of those 9 to 10 points per game and some more productivity like he had in Washington last season and in Atlanta back in 2013, that could be, I don't, that's not going to be your Marco Bellinelli type player off the bench, but he could be something of, of that veteran, uh, solid player who comes in, gets good minutes, and, and makes an impact. Furkan, I'm not sold on him, but obviously he's going to have to step it up in the upcoming games now. And then, really, you got to wonder what's good with Markel and Zaire. I don't know what's going on with Zaire, to be honest. I really I really don't know what's going on. But with Markel, there's now reports out, Woj has reported that Orlando and Atlanta is interested. So within the next less than 24 hours, we could see Markel Fultz dealt. I don't know if it's going to happen. Nobody knows if it's going to happen. And what I, what we do know is you're not going to receive the value that you want trading away a former first overall pick. That's just how it is. So there's one of two options. You can stick it out with him and see if he gets over these demons or this injury and comes back even a fragment of what he used to be and what we were expecting with that first overall pick. Or you try and dish him now to get some solid bench players or some picks. Now when you're looking at Orlando, Evan Fournier or Terrence Ross are two players who are averaging 14, 14 and a half a game. But I don't think Orlando's going to give those guys up for Markel Fultz. We'd have to give up either more draft picks, more players, just to get one of those guys. And we're probably not going to get any picks back or any meaningful picks back. But I'm not sure. Maybe 
Maybe they really believe in Markel Fultz, but I don't think those players are feasible. So then you look at a player like Jerry and Grant, who's averaging, I don't even know how many. He's averaging like four points per game. I know that. Whatever it is, it's it's the brother of Jeremy Grant who was here earlier. And do you really want to trade your former number one overall pick for a guy like Jerry and Grant? I'm, I just have a really hard time believing that that's going to be worth it. And another player I saw was DJ Augustine. He's like 31 years old, and he's more of a point guard. So I really don't know if he's the right player either. Jerry and Grant, by the way, averaging 4.1 points. And he's 6'4 in a point guard as well. So I don't really think that that's the type of bench player that you need. So unless you can get a, a top-tier guy like Fournier, Fournier... Is it Fournier? Yeah, it's Fournier. If you can get a top-tier guy like Fournier or Ross then I say go for it, but I feel like you're just going to have to give up too much for that. So then you look at what Atlanta uh, has to give. <laughs> you get Vince Carter. That's a joke, folks. I, I actually can't believe that Vince Carter is still playing. I doubt he's able to jump, but you could get him. <laughs> but for real, and I, you'll probably laugh, a player like Jeremy Lin, I know you're giving up, once again, giving up that first overall pick for a guy like Jeremy Lin, who's uh, 30 now and he's averaging 10 points per game. But at this point, maybe you can get Jeremy Lin in some sort of pick for Markel Fultz. And if that's the case, maybe Jeremy Lin can help out as a veteran leader. Maybe he can give you two to three years of... I don't know what player to compare him to, to be honest. Just just one of those. Sean Livingston, maybe? Maybe like a Sean Livingston. Yeah. Should we get a little Jeremy Lin is the new Sean Livingston? I don't know. But, yeah, Jeremy Lin could be that type of veteran leader. Also, Kent Bazemore, he's, he's actually, out of all these players that I've mentioned, He's probably your best option. 29 years old, so, you know, still kind of young. Six foot five, and he's putting up 13 a game. Is there any way you get Kent and you also get some sort of pick for Markel Fultz? I just, I, I just don't know if that's feasible. Really, it comes down to what is the market value for Markel Fultz. What kind of teams value him whatsoever after seeing all of the drama that has gone, that he's gone through, that has just surrounded him? Maybe other teams think if he gets outside of Philadelphia, his head is going to be cleared. I don't know what the case is, but it's either you keep Kel and hope he comes back soon and can provide some some sort of substance to this team or you trade him and you get that substance now I think opening up the bench in this way is going to force him when he comes back to play more which might help confidence or just experience on the floor but he's going to have to make an impact of some sort we need a bench that can come in and play the big four is awesome the fearsome four is incredible J.J. Redick as the fifth, love it. Boban as the sixth, love it. 
but you can't survive on a team that's six or seven deep. You need more structure and more stability on the bench. So that's that's really where Elton needs to look, whether it be before the trade deadline ends in the next day or in free agency otherwise. But you can't be going six or seven deep and expect to make it through a, a tough series where you have to travel to a... I'm assuming Milwaukee's going to be rocking for a playoff series, or if you have to travel to a Toronto, who really wants, or or a Boston, another Boston series. You can you imagine that Boston series going six deep? It's just not feasible. Because if you say that you're going seven deep, you're expecting that Mike Scott's going to give you something, and I just don't know if he's going to give you that sort of eighteen to twenty minutes and actual numbers coming up, but. Moving forward as well, Jimmy and Tobias are both unrestricted free agents after this season. So essentially you could have given up three three players and then four draft picks for a half-season rental. And that's scary to think. That's very scary to think of. I, all I can think is that Elton knows what's going on and he wouldn't make these moves just for a half a season of one possible run. The time is now, but I know he's thinking about the future as well. But Ben signed next year for $8 million and then a $10 million qualifying offer for the season after. He's going to become a restricted free agent. And uh, that's actually going to take a $24 million hit on the cap, so that's going to hurt. And then Joel is signed through 2023, set to make $27 million next year, 29 the next, and 31 the next. So by 2020-2021, slash uh, that cap could be $130 million just for the four of them, which is already $12 million over the salary cap. Like I said, we'll see. I trust in Elton. The pieces will fall into play. So the trade's done. The players are moved. What, what does this mean? What, what does all of this mean for this season, for next season? What is the impact of this trade? Was it a good trade? Was it a bad trade? Let, tell me tell me what you think if if you're listening right now wh- whenever it is whether it's you know Monday night or I'm sorry Jesus whether it's Wednesday night 11:50 when I put this up or whether it's a week from now how do you think this trade is going to turn out hashtag fan perspective that's p h a n perspective let me know what you're thinking of the Sixers trade but now it's time. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna give you my 100% what I'm feeling right now. This is my final word. Yes, the trade was expensive. Yes, it hurt very badly to see Landry go. Even if that was more of an emotional connection, he showed promise on the floor. That hurt to see him go. Yes, this bench is depleted. And yes, it always hurts to say goodbye to first-round draft picks. Even though that you never know what they're going to live up to, just having a first-round draft pick, it gives you something to look forward to. It gives you promise that this might be your next superstar or your next sixth man off the bench. A first-round draft pick stands for promise and hope. And when you give those away, it hurts. But Elton Brand has shown us that he is all in, all now, this season this moment he's in it to win it and i love it the process that's been gone for a while you know 
live in the moment, whatever the saying is. We're we're in the moment right now, but Elton Brand is showing to us he is absolutely in the moment. Where we tanked, got draft picks, it all helped us get to this point, but we're we're done with that. We're now giving away players, giving away draft picks for legitimate legitimate stars. So I wasn't sold when I woke up, but I thought about it all day, and now I am sold. Tobias Harris is the perfect player to come to Philly, and here's why, okay? The kid's been through tough times and a tough career, and he has just flowed with it. Starting on draft day, you know, your first experience in the NBA, you hear your name called, boom. Three-team deal on draft day that sends him from Charlotte to the Bucks. Then, over the course of his eight-year career, he's already been traded five times, including that draft day trade. Where was he traded? Started out from Charlotte to Milwaukee, and that's before Giannis came in and they were cool. Then he goes to Atlanta, I'm sorry, Orlando, and that's, that is way after they were cool, the Dwight Howard era. And then he goes from Orlando to Detroit, and they certainly were not cool. That's before Blake Griffin came in. And then finally, he lands on the Clippers. And L.A.'s cool. They are all right. But this kid went Milwaukee, Orlando, Detroit. Toughed it out. Never complained. Never whined. Just did his time. He's been dealt a really poor hand since coming into the league. And that leads me to my next point. He is still only 26 years old. Eight years in the league. He left Tennessee after his freshman season. Uh, when he was a 19-year-old. So he has experienced some very difficult times, some hardship between the ages of 19 and 25. He's wise beyond his years. And to think that maybe 26 years old is is old in this day and age in the NBA because there's so many young players coming in from the one-and-dones, including Harris, who was a one-and-done 26 years old. You know who else is 26 years old? Carson Wentz. And he's that young player with a bright future ahead of him who we are ready to sell everything for. And I'm, I'm on board. But 26 years old, Carson Wentz is the same age. So if he has years and years of promise and he is our future, I say the same with Harris. He's trending upwards on a consistent scale. After becoming a starter his second season, once he was traded to Orlando, he averaged 17 points per game, 14 points per game, 17 and 14 again in four seasons, and he was traded to Detroit in that last season. He shot 46% from the field in that time period. So this is his second through his fifth season in the NBA. Once he finally found a if you want to call it a home. It was his first full season in Detroit playing. He plays 82 games. His first full season in Detroit, he finally has a home, 82 games. And he averaged 16 points per game and 48% from the field. Unfortunately, that home in Detroit was not for very long, and he was sent to uh, the Clippers last season. But that's when he exploded. First, he was averaging 18 with Detroit, goes to L.A., 19. 
19 points per game. It's his first season over 40% from the three-point line. And then you got this year. He's rocking a career-high 20.9 per game, nearly 50% from the floor, 43, 43% beyond the arc. So what, what I see him compared to as is kind of a Jimmy Butler-type career, you know, that, that, that late bloomer type of persona, and, and more on that in a minute. But most importantly, I think why he's a perfect fit is that personality. He's quiet. He puts up the numbers, but he's not going to have any issues with an egotistic mindset or having trouble spreading the love. He's going to sit back, take his load in, take the load off the rest of the players, and just do his job. Every team he's played for spoke incredibly high of him as a person, and he's a respectable man. I really enjoy that his father is his agent. He doesn't hire a big-name agent. He, His dad, who probably taught him the game and supported him all the way up through his career, now serves as his agent and put out a statement that said, Our experience with the Clippers organization was great. These fans are amazing. We exceeded expectations and were in the playoff picture all year. Tobias is having an all-star season, and his experience in L.A. was great. Nothing but good feelings towards the Clippers after being traded again. I just love that when you get kicked, just keep getting up mentality, and he certainly has that. In the era of what I call the James effect, and that's not remaining loyal to your team and thinking you are above the league in the game. That's LeBron James and cough, cough, Anthony Davis. I'm not going to go off on a tangent about that right now. But Harris hasn't even had the opportunity to do that. He's just been traded and traded and traded. He's never even felt what it's like to have a home. Well, he is going to feel that Philly love. He is going to be embraced by this city. And he is going to know that he found his home. Which brings me to my next point. Moving forward past this season. I know we want to look at this season. And we still have a chance more than ever to win this season. Win now. But looking into the future. This kid's got to stay. Tobias Harris must stay in Philadelphia. And I know EB said he wants to budget for all four players. And bring all of them back. But if it comes down to one guy walking out of those four, I'm going to have to say goodbye to Jimmy Buckets. Like I said before, Harris is very comparable to Butler, except Harris's growth has been more gradual. He entered the league three years younger than Butler as well. So while Butler's hitting his stride on a team with D-Rose, uh, Paul Gasol, Joakim Noah, and more in Chicago, and then he goes off to Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins, that's where he's goes from, you know, eight a game to 13 and then 20, 20, 22, 23 all-star seasons. He's doing that with a lot of help. Well, Harris gradually transitioned into who he is today while playing in Orlando with only Victor Oladipo by his side. And that's before he came the Pacers, Victor Oladipo. And then he plays in Detroit with basically nobody. Then he goes to the Clips and he has some help, but that's really where he emerges as a star. So Harris is growing on these teams where he has no help, so he just has to learn how to be the guy, how to be the man in cities that at the time were not a desirable place to play. Now, sure, people want to go to Milwaukee. Sure, people want to go to Detroit because they're playing alongside Giannis and Blake Griffin. But at the time, it was you know teams at the 
bottom, bottom of the standings. And he was just putting his time in, putting his work in, and just getting better and better. So Butler starts his all-star form, you know, averaging those 20 points per game consistently around the age of 25. Now Harris, who's only 26, has already averaged around six, and that includes two half seasons where he was traded of 15 or more points per game. More importantly, not more importantly, but a different take on this. Since turning 24, and 24 is the age where Butler went from 8 points to 13 and really kick-started his growth. So since turning 24, Harris averages 16 points, and then he goes up to nearly 19, and now he's averaging over 20. That is consistent growth on the scale of Jimmy Butler, but not really because Jimmy Butler came in when he was 22 and had two lower seasons and then finally hit it in his third season, whereas Harris has just gradually grown, and he was already averaging 14, 15 a game at ages 23, while Butler was a rookie at that age. So he just has... When you compare the two of them, they're similar, but here's the difference. Tobias Harris has more promise with less of an ego, though I don't want to put the term ego on Jimmy Butler. Like That's so out. It's overblown. But he has one. There's no denying it. Tobias Harris has less of an ego. So more promise with less of an ego, and he is significantly younger. So whatever they choose to do after this season, we'll see. But Tobias Harris must be in those plans. And I'm excited to see what he brings to the table this year with the Fearsome Four. I can't wait for that first game and to really see the impact he makes, see what this new-look team actually looks like. So that's my take on the Tobias Harris trade. That's my take on the state of the Sixers. We'll see what happens. Like I said, can't wait to, to see that first game back with everybody. I'm not sure if he's going to play in the next game. Uh, I'm sure they're going to have the press conference tomorrow um, and then uh, Friday they're playing at home against the Nuggets. So if they get him suited up and ready to go, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, is that that Wells Fargo Center is going to be rocking. Absolutely rocking for their new Fearsome Four. And then, sure enough, LeBron's coming in Sunday. So let's put a good spanking on him. I'm sure I will do another episode where I just complain about my feelings towards LeBron. I would like to do that with Justin, actually. We'll see what happens with that. Because I, I don't know exactly what his stance is on LeBron, but that man is just making me more sick by the day. In other news, on an Eagles front, the Eagles, um, so they they chose that $20 million option they, for Foles, and then um, he paid $2 million to buy out of that. So that's where we're at on, on that. And I'm sure me and J- Justin and I will do some sort of podcast um, assessing what's going on just in in other sports other than the Sixers. Um, We're actually trying next week to do that Eagles uh, season recap and looking forward. Hoping to do that one day uh, next week. But we'll also try and get one out, whether it's just me, whether it's just him, or however it is of assessing other issues aside from one trade. We'll look at the Sixers actually on the court after seeing what Tobias Harris has done. We'll look at the Eagles in a not such a detailed form, but just bigger picture. 
And then we'll also touch on the Flyers, who just seem to be killing it right now. And Bryce Harper and Manny Machado still aren't signed. Whatever. Now you know. It's a segment where I tell you something that you might not have known. Um, I'm sure you actually already knew this, but in case you didn't, if you know the, the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl, they had their Super Bowl parade. There was this video that came out. I'm going to link it to the to the Twitter tonight or tomorrow. There's this video that came out of, of Patriots fans brawling on the streets. Just brawling. But Philly fans are the ones who are assholes. Explain to me how Philadelphia is the only city with the most unbearable fans. Yet on the day of our parade, everybody came together and showed love. Patriots fans celebrating their sixth, uh, their Bostonians celebrating their second of the season. They're starting brawls. That's all I have for tonight, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, Justin wasn't here, so I can't thank him for his time, but he will be back. We will be back. We're working on new ways to try and have more content with this show, so there could be a five-for-five five type of thing where we just do a little five-minute update every weekday. In addition to our regular episode, we're not sure exactly where we're headed, but it's going to be a bright future. We're, we're putting more time towards this podcast. I really appreciate, and I know Justin really appreciates anybody who listens to it. So if you're listening, thank you so much for taking the time to actually support us in our podcast. And if you feel the love, if you enjoy what you've heard, head over to iTunes, hit that subscribe button, leave us a nice review, and please share with your fellow Philadelphian friends. We want we want some interaction there on social media. Use that hashtag fan perspective, P-H-A-N perspective. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and let us hear. We will read your tweets. We will talk about what you want us to talk about on the show. Thank you so much. Send requests. Play us out. So tell me what I'm